No worries. One, two, three, four. Uh, this morning for breakfast, I had overnight oats, which I prepared last night. I had blueberries and chocolate. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be talking like this. One, two, three, four. This will probably be the loudest. Won't get any more out of this. Um, sorry, I just sit down properly. If you just want to keep the track rolling and then um, if I balls it up, it's all right. I could, I'll just keep going on. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. With Storm Kira battering the UK last weekend so much that Manchester City's game with West Ham fell to the weather, it's probably a good thing that it's their winter break this weekend, otherwise this Saturday's fixture could have fallen victim to Storm Dennis. So welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast, which, I'm not going to lie, is going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge of news stories. Normally we'd review and preview a game, but with the West Ham fixture taking place next Wednesday and us already having previewed that game once, we're going to take the opportunity to look at some of the other issues surrounding the club on a more detailed level. We'll be remembering some previous fixtures that have been unplayable because of the elements, while we'll also be looking at whether City have or ever had a realistic chance of signing Lionel Messi. We'll also talk more about Premier League dominance after comments from varying CEOs of the top flight as well. All that this week, plus some of your questions in Ask the Panel for me, David Mooney, and my guest for today's show, City fan Richard Burns. Hello there. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? It's been a weird week, hasn't it? Uh, Yes, it has. It's strange when there's no football to think about, but the way this season's gone, I've quite enjoyed enjoyed it. There was almost a a week where there was no game after this show or before this show. And that, I mean, honestly, before the game was rescheduled, I, I was I was pulling my hair out at trying to work out what we were going to do today. Yeah, um, it's it's just it's been nice. I've not had to think about football until tonight for nearly a fortnight. Well, it's I do, I amazing. Do, uh, I do apologise about that. Um, also, ultimately, <laughs> though, the the decision on Sunday it was the right decision. Yeah, um, I I thought it would be cancelled. I think I, I sort of woke up and texted my dad saying I. I would not be at all surprised if the game's off today, um, and and so it so it proved. I mean, we've, the the great thing was that they made the decision early because we've had plenty of games like this that, um, as I know, will be touched on later. But we've had games like this that have been very last minute. Sort of fans already at the stadium or outside the stadium. I'm sure at the time it was cancelled, there will have been a good deal of West Ham fans that were already on the way. But I'm sure that at least they will have been in a place where they could. Hopefully not have been too far from home. Turn around and get yeah, back. Yeah, been able to turn back and uh, not get stuck in any sort of um, travel chaos. Hopefully, so yeah, it was it was the right decision. I um I woke up on Sunday morning and I'm lying in bed hearing the rain battering the hell out of the window and I was honestly I, I was thinking I might even if it's I might give it a miss you know I might I might just I, I might just not show up because I've done that once before. And that, that was the right decision as well because it was Leicester at home in Pellegrini's final season. They <laughs> lost 3-1. Uh, I was ill and my mum and dad came back and they were dripping wet still after being in the car and, and driving home. So I I, I, I I honestly thought about giving it a miss. And so uh, luckily I could be a wimp and not have, to, uh, not have to go outside. But it was all the club's decision. One thing I would say is spare a thought for Matt Renninger, a City fan from Rhode Island in the USA who flew over for the game only for it to not go ahead. I caught up with him on Wednesday this week before he flew back home. We uh, flew in on uh, last Friday uh, for the Sunday game uh, and made it a, extended the vacation a little longer when the game got moved from uh, Saturday to Sunday. So we were due to fly back and still will uh, tomorrow. And uh, so how, how did you feel when you woke up on the morning of the game and you realised actually this, this game might not go ahead? Well, you're in denial a little bit. Uh, you know, it's so rare, obviously, for any matches to get moved because of weather. You know, we've watched them in on TV in snow and, and sleet and rain. So when we heard about the safety meeting, um, I was surprised that that might happen. Um, the weather here at our hotel was was bad in the morning, but, uh, you know, it just looks like rain. And we we really never uh, expected the, the match to be in danger. And then we obviously waited that long hour, hour and uh, 20 minutes before the club called it off and <laughs> surprised and devastated and you know all those emotions uh at the same time is was this going to be your first game as well it was i i saw them during uh one of the friendlies over in the states back in 2014 
Um, they played Liverpool at Yankee Stadium, which was a cool experience, but obviously, you know, very few of the first team were there, uh, you know, post-World Cup on that tour. Um, so this was going to be the first time to really see uh, the whole roster. Um, and we were uh, obviously pretty excited about that. I was going to say, from excitement, you must have been absolutely devastated on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Um, you know, we, we couldn't just stay in the hotel and, and feel sorry for ourselves. At the same time, you know, we didn't have many plans. We were going to go to, a, you know, a blue pub and, and go to City Square and, you know, all those things uh, out the door. So we dragged ourselves uh, kind of aimlessly to uh, a few pubs and tried to, you know, get some food in, our, in us and... Uh, make the most of it. Um, there were some tears throughout the day from both of us, but uh, you just kind of make the most of it. And, you know, there's denial and friends were texting us from the States, their apologies and and obviously, you know, feeling horrible for us. But, uh, you know, we just there's worse places to be in the world than on a holiday in, in the UK. So, you know, we just tried to make the most of it. I, I dread to think of the answer to this question, but, uh, but can, can you tell us how much it cost? Um, you know, that's been a, a pretty common question. And uh, I'd say, you know, about 2500 to, th- you know, 3000 American dollars. You know, we don't do it all. You know, we don't buy everything all at once. But uh, the tickets were acquired uh, as soon as the fixtures came out. And they, that was the most meticulous uh, thing. Ironically, we just wanted to pick a match that wouldn't get <laughs> wouldn't get postponed. And uh, we were worried about, you know, the conflicting uh, fixtures with the Cups and, and the Champions League. Uh, so that's why we landed on West Ham and, you know, we bought the plane tickets next and then the accommodations and, um, all told, yeah, about that. But, you know, we had no problem adding a few extra days to the trip when the, when the game got moved the first time. So a lot of money, um, but you know, again, you try to make the most of it and have a a good holiday. I was going to say, is it, is it possible we'll see you back soon? Have you got plans to come back for a future game? Uh, well, no plans yet. Um, you know, we're, we're expecting our first child in June. So, uh, this season is most likely out of the equation. Um, we'd be happy to come back with the little one, uh, next season. Uh, you know, as a big supporter, uh, it's the current, current lineup and current manager and that we really want to see. Um, so hopefully we can do so, uh, you know, while, while the, the club looks about the same as it does now, obviously, Probably won't see uh, David Silva, and we were going to miss Sterling, you know, with his injury. But uh, hopefully, we can get back maybe next season or, or the one after. Well, uh, we hope to see you back at uh, the Etihad soon. Uh, Matt, I, I, I can just, I can only apologize for for what the British weather's <laughs> like. Yeah, it's been. I mean, we knew unpredictable was going to happen. I, I will say, we didn't just did not expect that. And uh, one more thing to uh, consider in the future. <laughs> support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast city fan matt renninger speaking to me there uh, the good news is that city have been in touch with him and invited him to be a special guest at a future game with a tour of the training ground and they've also sent him and his wife missy some goodies as well so uh, i mean after what a couple of thousand us dollars and you know a, a three thousand ish mile trip over and then a three thousand mile trip back at least at least there's been some good news at the end of it yeah, that's um, that's to be fair. It's a really nice touch from City. Um, he was, he was, it was a good interview because I'd be. Um, I'm not sure. I'd have, yeah, I'm not sure I'd have learned to see the funny side yet. Um, and I wasn't at all surprised when he said there were a few tears because you you plan a trip like that and it gets wiped out by sort of act of God freak weather. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt sad for him listening <laughs> to it. So I'm glad that he had sort of such a chipper and um, good view of it. Yeah, well, uh, well, we, like, like we said, we uh, we hope he's back and uh, we, he gets a gets an Etihad game soon. Uh, this game has been rearranged for next Wednesday, the nineteenth of February, cutting short City's winter break a little bit. Uh, but it's actually quite a good time, I reckon, Richard, with with then now having two games before playing Real Madrid. Yeah, um, they need to pick up a bit of momentum again, don't they, City? Um, Going into the, the Real Madrid game um, off the back of, obviously I know there's another game before that, but off the back of the Spurs defeat and a very disappointing overall second leg against United in the, the League Cup, um, you don't really want to be going into Real Madrid having had that as a very recent experience and then a big sort of gap in playing time. So, and Leicester will be a tough game as well. It will um, I'm glad you said that because to my shame I was trying, desperately trying to remember who I the game was um, yeah it was it, it has worked out quite well you would think that 
I don't want to say, well, I was going to say you would think that City wouldn't have too many problems against West Ham, but actually I don't feel confident saying that, given that at the moment we don't seem to be able to score. Um, it's a bit of an issue. Yeah, you usually need to do that to win games. Um, but you would, you would hope that West Ham are a poor team, so you'd think that City are going to, I don't think it's outlandish to suggest that City are probably going to dominate that game. If they can create chances, you'd hope that having a bit of time now between the um, the Tottenham game in the last game you know that might help get them out of the system but also having had a, a bit of a break as well we've seen pictures uh, this week of, of players on holiday I mean Zinchenko was at the zoo <laughs> have you seen that <laughs> no. some some cracking play, uh, pictures of Zinchenko with some animals uh, the, there's one oh. I think he's I think he and a giraffe are sharing a leaf it's just it's incredible I hope he had a lovely time I'm sure he did he strikes me as a man who has a lovely time in sort of anything he does um, you've met him obviously Yes, uh, very briefly, briefly, when he agreed to take a photo uh, at the United game. And then I lined myself up perfectly with him on the way out because <laughs> he was sat about three rows in front of me. And I lined myself up perfectly to be able to ask him on the concourse if he would record one of those bits. A stab, do you call stab, it? yeah. Uh, I know the lingo. Um, where To say, I'm Alexander Zinchenko, you listen to the Blue Moon podcast. And just as we got to the top of the steps, he called his mate back and doubled back down to his seat. And at that point, I couldn't follow him. Because it would have been too weird. Um, anyway. But the point is, they've all had a break. Uh, yes, that was the point. Um <laughs> Yeah, and so they should be refreshed. There's enough distance now between a couple of disappointing games. Because that United game, okay, we went through to the final and that was ultimately all that matters. But that was a frustrating 90 minutes where City just weren't at the best. They they created chances and blew them. So hopefully West Ham game gives a chance to sort of blow the cobwebs off, ease back in. And that isn't taking West Ham lightly because I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to batter them, but we should be winning that game, certainly at home. Um, And then Leicester, we've already proven this season that yes, they are a very, very good team, but actually if we're at our best, we're still a much better team than them. That's, that's than them. That's the reality of that situation. So if City turn up at the best, they should win that game. And then and that'd be the perfect platform for um, Real Madrid. Yeah, then comes the big one. Yeah, um, just very quickly on on the winter break, Richard. It it, it feels important for City to have had to, for City to have had this weekend coming off, whether or not last weekend was off as well. Do you know what I mean? It, it feels like they've now had a good chunk of rest. Yeah, well, this should be um, the winter break should be part of the English season I say that as somebody who absolutely adores the Christmas fixtures so I think trying to find a compromise that allows I, th- I thought this compromise was really good actually it, in terms of not having all 10 games off of a, of a weekend I think it's a I agree to a point I think it's quite a good compromise but I think it then becomes a bit candid and ham-fisted when you don't extend the season, you just cram the FA Cup fifth round into a midweek instead. Yeah. And um, the whole FA Cup replays being played during the winter break. Now, of course, you can say a team should get the job done earlier or they knew that at the start of the season. But when the FA are giving directives that teams shouldn't be booking lucrative friendlies, but you do need to be prepared that if, shock horror, you draw a cup game your replay is going to interrupt your winter break. I think there's work to be done, but it is a step in the right direction. Players need rest. You know, we, they are, um, without overdoing it, they do get overworked. Like, their, their schedules are absolutely insane. Um, would, be so, hard, yeah. would be hard to extend this season, though, given, given the Euros no, as well. So it's, you, yeah. Of course, but... It's not the perfect compromise yeah. yet, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, well, just before we move on, uh, a quick reminder of the charity bet predictions for uh, from last week's show for West Ham because they uh, they do still stand. Um, Ali Fogg went for a three-one City win, which is uh, nine to one and ninety pounds. Uh, Simon Mullock went for a five-nil City win, and that would be uh, eleven to one and one hundred and ten pounds. And I went for a five-one City win at sixteen to one and uh, one hundred and sixty pounds. Got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out BeGambleAware.com. Now, Sunday's postponement of the game against West Ham is the second time that Pep Guardiola has had a City match called off because of the weather. It's not something that happens too often. Here's Sam Roscoe to talk us through some previous times it's happened in recent years.
Pep Guardiola's reign was only just a month old by the time he'd been messed around by the Manchester weather. It was September 2016 and the visitors to the Etihad were Borussia Mönchengladbach. It was a Tuesday night and it just didn't stop raining. Flash floods around the ground and an unplayable pitch left the authorities with no choice but to push the game back by 24 hours. The manager said it was easy to deal with though. We were at home, sleeping with our wives and people, with our kids. We were there, we woke up, we went to the, our centrum, we trained a little bit. And after that, breakfast, lunch, no meetings. And before come here, we make a briefing to remember what we spoke the last two days and said, guys, Champions League is here, let's go. And midfielder Ilkay Gundogan said playing that 4-0 win a day later would have no effect on the team's future games too. It makes a small difference maybe, but uh, in our position, um, in our professional, we always try to try to do our best. So it uh, shouldn't affect us uh, on Saturday if we, if we are on the field. We always want to want to want to win and uh, want to want to play our best football. It had been a few years since the elements had put paid to a city match. Once again, it had been at the Etihad, and it was for the visit of Sunderland as Manuel Pellegrini's side tried to chase down Liverpool at the top of the Premier League. This one was called off because of the wind. Here's Rob Pollard speaking on the podcast about how bad the conditions were. It's the right decision. I was just annoyed because I'd driven there and I, literally my car was moving across the motorway. The wind was picking me up and putting me in different lanes. And the Guardian journalist Jamie Jackson explains how he photobombed a shot that went viral as the programme selling booth outside the ground was blown over. I remember, yeah, it being very windy, not thinking at all it would be uh, called off. And the next thing I know... My picture, for some reason, sort of going past one of the programme selling stands as it, I think it, as it was falling over, was it? Or I don't know. Um, was sort of, I think it went into the, a couple of local papers. It might even have made a national paper because I think I was leading into into the into what was kind of a gale. But as we all know, it's rain that Manchester is synonymous with, and when it's wet in Manchester, it really is wet. Here's City fan Howard Hocking. Curse of the outdoor ticket office, of course. Uh, only Gary Cook, the genius that came along later, actually realised that a ticket office in Manchester should probably be inside, not outside. Uh, and for thus, because of that ticket office, being wetter than I thought possible. He's talking about a League Cup game with Ipswich at Main Road back in the year 2000. But I had to pick my ticket up from what was no, pretty much nothing more than a porter cabin outside the ground. But there was quite a queue for tickets. Uh, by the time I had mine, and I don't think it was a full house, but there was still a big, big queue for tickets because City being City, I think there was only one porter cabin handing them out. Uh, so by the time I had mine, it was absolutely saturated. Uh, water had seeped into, well, <laughs> every nook and cranny, every pocket, every piece of clothing. Everybody was drenched getting into the stadium, but this was a cup quarter final and City were only a couple of good performances away from Wembley. That enthusiasm completely disappeared by the time I reached my seat, which was, I remember this clear, as wet as the ground outside the stadium. It was absolutely, well, just one puddle on every single seat, basically. Uh, not that it matters, I didn't think I could take on it any more water anyway. Graham Paul was the referee and Howard says he should have never started the game. You could tell immediately as soon as he kicked off. I don't remember what chances in the game, but you remember the, the ball was just stopping. Uh, lots of water, lots of sliding tackles, no doubt, and people sliding for 20, 30 yards. And soon after that, the referee had a problem. With it clear the game should be called off, Ipswich scored making that decision much harder for the official. It was Paul Dickoff who equalised midway through the first half, which made Graham Paul's life a lot, lot easier. So I hope he sent him a Christmas card that year. So he equalised, and then Graham Paul said, well, the match is level, I can stop the game now. I'm sure we've had one abandoned against it, which a few years previous, but I wasn't at that. The only game I've been to, I think, that's been abandoned whilst I've been there. Nicky Weaver played in that League Cup game in 2000, and remembers just how wet it was. In the warm-up, the rain was coming down, the pitch was getting worse, the referee came out to have a look. You know, it was touch and go, I think, whether the game was actually going to go ahead, but it did. Um, went 1-0 down quite early on, and not long after equalising, the game was um, called off. And to be fair, as a goalkeeper, it's really awkward and horrible position and conditions to play in, so, um, so I wasn't too disappointed when it was called off. He describes how the ball kept getting stuck. The pitch was pretty much unplayable. I think at that point, the ball was starting to get stuck. It wasn't really bouncing. Players were you know, trying to dribble with the ball, and the ball was 
you know, standing still in the, in the water, so it did become unplayable. Paul took the players off while the groundsmen tried to get the surface water off the pitch, but it was clear as they were leaving that they were never coming back out. City, of course, went on to lose the replay seven days later. Hi, this is Gary Cook, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Sam Roscoe looking at some of City's games that have fallen foul to the weather. Um, Richard, any any particular standouts for you? Ipswich, because it was... One for everyone. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. I remember getting to that game and getting to the family stand where me and my dad and my sister used to sit, and my sister... I think it was my sister, it could have been my dad, it was one of them, took off their shoes and just emptied them. <laughs> like, they just, just, a puddle just, just poured them out. Yeah, the, the, it was ridiculous. And the game never should have gone ahead. And then I, I do remember, because belief in the... Um, the conspiracy against Manchester City has existed forever. Uh, everybody on the... Well, no, not everybody. People on the way out were bemoaning the fact that, oh, Ipswich only started... George Burley only started, demanded that it be called off after City equalised. <laughs> and, of course, it wasn't that the game should never have gone ahead. It was it was um, a conspiracy against City. Ipswich were running scared in, because Dickov had equalised. Yeah, but they they got away with it in the replay, got away with kicking Kevin Horlock in the head in the penalty Herman area. Herman Friderson and, yeah. did um, very nearly kicked Horlock's head off. Yeah, it's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen to not so get a penalty. So much blood, so much blood. And the funny thing is, when I spoke to Horlock about it, he said, uh, couldn't couldn't find the wound. Oh, I thought you were going to say he couldn't remember it. I was going to say, yeah. I bet he can't. <laughs> yeah, he got his head kicked in, yeah. Um, <laughs> that Ipswich game was where a family in joke of ours uh, originated because as we got out of the car, um, it wasn't raining. And my dad, it was starting to, to look like it was going to rain a bit more and the clouds were, were there. And uh, my dad goes, should we, should we take a brolly? And my mum <laughs> goes, now it'll pass. So now every time me mum and dad go out anywhere, it's, uh, should we take a brolly? No, it, it'll pass. I mean, to be fair, it did pass. We ran we ran to the news agents <laughs> to get undercover as quickly as we could where my dad buys sweets from. And my mum's red shoes, the dye in them had, had gone everywhere and it looked like somebody had stabbed her in the feet in this shop. It, what was, is, it was horrific. What's your dad's suite of choice from the news agent? Werther's original. Mine too. I love a word that's original. Very rarely a game without them. Yeah. Um, will you have you been to any other games that have maybe finished, but you were worried we're going to get called off uh, and City were winning? Burnley away. Were you at that? Uh, yes, I was. Where um, I was pretty much directly below one of the leaking holes in their <laughs> in their away stand, um, and I remember watching Brian Laws on the touchline, thinking he's he's playing to get this. Sprinklers on a half time. Yeah, of thing. That is, he's seen an opportunity here to expunge one of the most embarrassing results in Premier League history. Not for the six-one, because that I mean that can happen. A relegation team fighting a, a Champions League chasing team, big defeats can happen. But we were five 0 up in twenty minutes. Four, yeah. in, four, four in four in twenty because Adebayor scored on the stroke. Yes, half that's time. right. Of course, but it, it, was. But it, it was, was the quickest ever four 0 lead. It was the quickest ever three goal lead. I was that in like four. nine minutes? Yeah, I think I don't know about four goal. I, four might be pushing it because I remember City shipping four quite quickly to Arsenal. Oh, of course they did. Um, yeah, Carlo Nash's debut. Yeah, so I don't, okay. know, I don't know. I don't know if it beat, if it beat that, but he definitely beat the record for for three. Yeah, and it was just one of those like it was just such a fun away end, and I thought they were gonna expunge this incredible game and it'll count for nothing but to be fair to him after the game Brian Laws said I was so embarrassed by the performance that I was asking them not to call it off (laughs) because I just I wanted it done and not to have to go through it again and I couldn't live with the shame I mean this this isn't an exact quote but he sort of didn't want the shame of of getting out of it almost it was quite interesting it was it was watching the home fans leave after the third one went in after about nine minutes and, and just thinking I've never seen City do that to anyone yeah it was um, not my favourite ever six-one away win in the Premier League but under Mancini, <laughs> but it was yeah, it was up there. <laughs> uh, funny, we got a funny story about that in our family as well. We got back from holiday that day and we got home to watch it on the telly and we the, like, the Burnley game. The Burnley game, and uh, I put the telly on and my dad was putting the suitcases away 
And I did the thing where the game kicked off. I said, Dad, they've kicked off like that. And he said, yeah, I'll be down in a minute. Dad, it's 1-0. Uh, yeah, I'll be, oh, good, I'll be down in a minute. Dad, it's 2-0. Uh, yeah, I'll be down in a minute. Dad, it's 3-0. No, you're taking the piss now. And no, I wasn't. It was uh, it was 3 so uh, so very quickly before he could get out of the loft. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other game that uh, that I wanted to mention was... Uh, you we, we weren't born for this one. We, we don't remember it. But uh, Dennis Law once had six goals, I think it was. Uh, um, wiped in the record after he scored uh, six times for City in a cup game I think it was at Luton um, which was rained off and City went on to lose the replay you would be gutted wouldn't you I mean uh, I don't even know what to say about that I feel sad for him now double hat trick the the lesser spotted double hat trick yeah yeah, I'd I'd be fuming. I mean, at least he'll always have the knowledge that he scored a double hat trick. It's just that no record book will ever show. It just it. doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Got Ex- it. Explain that one away. Yeah, no, I, I, I promise you, I did. I did. Yeah. Right, uh, well, once again, stories have surfaced this week that Manchester City have had their eye on swiping Lionel Messi from Barcelona. After a public falling out between the player and the club's sporting director, there were reports that Messi could be open to leaving the new Camp, before further reports later in the week saying that he'd stay put. Tom Green's been looking at this story. By all accounts, it's not the first time City have been linked with Leo Messi. All these bids were all on the table and getting flying out the window and one was going out, one was getting refused, another one would go out. So it was all a bit frenetic and by all accounts, uh, the director says, the consultant says, we've got to be careful here, it's all getting a little bit messy. So uh, Rush, I think his name is, uh, said, yes, yes, Messi, Messi, <laughs> put a bid in. <laughs> <laughs> well, lo and behold, a bid went in for Messi, and you can imagine it came straight back. That's former manager Mark Hughes talking about the transfer deadline day of summer 2008, the day that news broke that City had been taken over by Sheikh Mansour. Reports suggest that ever since, the club has been on alert should the Argentinian ever want to leave Spain, and rumours have only ever escalated since Pep Guardiola became manager at the Etihad. Here's what happened when someone heckled Guardiola about signing Messi on his very first public appearance as City boss. What I said before, I think he's not a bad player, this guy. Good De- answer. Definitely not. But uh, yeah. Good answer. I'm sorry, Messi has to stay in Barcelona for the rest <laughs> of his career. I'm sorry. That line has never changed from Guardiola. Here's what he said about the stories this week. This player from Barcelona, he will stay there. That is my wish. Stay in Barcelona, so... I'm not going to talk about the players for the other club. But as, as someone knows him well, I'm not going to ask you about signing him. I'm going to ask you whether you think he might play for another European side ever or whether that's just Barcelona. I think he's going to finish his career there. The option of City moving for Messi came about after the forward publicly called out Barcelona's sporting director and his former teammate, Eric Abidal, over comments he'd made. Sports journalist Alvaro Montero explains. When Eric Abidal to the sport newspaper here in Spain, in Catalonia, said what uh, the locker room thought about Ernesto Valverde after he was fired, Leo Messi, he said, OK, Eric Abidal, if you got the guts, Say which player said that. It's a way of saying, it's not my fault, it's not my problem. I didn't want Ernesto Valverde to get out. For a couple of days, there were tentative thoughts that Messi might leave. And so the question became, could City, or any Premier League side, afford him? Even if uh, Lionel Messi was looking for 800000 to a million pounds a week, over the course of three years, I think a club would look at that total cost of 100 to £150 million, uh, and say that it would be, be money well worth it, because Lionel Messi brings with, the, with himself the cachet of being the world's best footballer. He also brings 140 million Instagram followers. The clubs will be able to charge extra money for hospitality. They'll certainly be able to go to their sponsors and saying... Do you want to have your product uh, shown alongside Lionel Messi or one of our existing squad? And if so, are you willing to pay extra for it? So to a certain extent, I think any deal could pay for itself. That's Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football podcast. He does, though, think there could be one hurdle for City to clear should that opportunity to go for Messi ever come up. I think the only issue in terms of a Messi potentially signing for Manchester City will be the ongoing investigation by UEFA into City's financial fair play considerations. If the, if the ruling is that City 
have been given a, 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 have been found innocent of all the charges. Then they'll be qualifying for the Champions League next season. I think that's something which is absolutely essential from Messi's point of view. And then it could be full steam ahead. Kieran adds that even Messi's age would not put any potential buyers off such a high-valued transfer. He's never really been injured significantly. Uh, he does keep himself very fit. Um, I think clubs will be looking at Cristiano Ronaldo, who's, who's older than Messi. He's still delivering the goods for Juventus. Also, City are aware that David Silva is, is retiring at the end of this season. That there's, there's a space within the, within the club squad which does need replacing. Messi can play as, a, as both a creator of goals and a scorer of goals. So I don't see that being a problem. Um, the, the total cost is, is bearable for a club of City's magnitude. All of this is now immaterial, but that doesn't mean City won't be keeping a keen eye on the situation in Barcelona, just in case any opportunity arises. The Athletic reported this week that it's been a semi-regular consideration at the Etihad, and any chance will be looked at if it comes along. But their City correspondent, Sam Lee, explains another issue. Guardiola wouldn't want to be seen to be the man to take Messi from Barcelona. So everything that he means to Barcelona, everything that Guardiola thinks about Barcelona, everything that Guardiola means to Barcelona, everything that Messi thinks about it, everything about Catalan independence and everything, it's all wrapped into one thing. If Guardiola could get to the end of his City career and Messi still be there, he'd be fine with that. But, that said, he wouldn't say no. If Messi were to ring City and say, I've made my mind up, I'm leaving Barca and I'm going to go somewhere, so I may as well come to you. I would be stupid not to accept this. If Messi makes his mind up completely independently and says he wants to join City, Guardiola would let it happen. So for now, Messi to City is still a pipe dream. But just like the club, we'll keep tabs on the idea for the future. Can you imagine just how fun Guardiola's final season could be if the near impossible actually happened this summer? Hello, my name is Gerard Wiekens, a former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Tom Green there looking at City's chances of signing Lionel Messi. Uh, Richard, did you at any point dare to think it might happen? Of course. Yeah, I mean, not realistically, but um, I... I let myself think that it could because I want it so much. I've had in in my time probably three um three dream city signings. First, Frank Lampard. And it came to and pass. That happened. Yeah, no, obviously we got him very much past his prime, but he was still quite good. Yeah, and still he, still scored some decent goals, Yeah. It? He had been up until that point my favourite ever. Premier League non-City player. I absolutely loved him as a player. Um, could never tire of watching him. Wish that I could play football to, you know, if I imagined myself as a footballer, I mean, I'm, I am talentless. But that's who I would have <laughs> wanted to be able to play like. Um, he's magnificent, and, and we got him. So although it was well past his best and not like getting him in his prime, when he scored that first goal for City against Chelsea, the the sort of 15-year-old in me that had had him as an icon, um, I, I sort of revisited my, my teenage years a little bit. It was amazing. I was so, so happy. My next one was Guardiola. Because, that came to pass? Yeah, because I used I was in awe of his Barcelona team. I still believe that his Barcelona team are the, the greatest club football side of all time. They were in, absolutely magnificent to watch. Um I think they, I, I think they basically perfected football, and I was desperate to see that at City. And I never really thought that that one would happen, um, because it just seemed too good to be true. And then it did, and it's worked out pretty well. So you won a hat trick then. And then, yeah, Messi is, I think, and prepare yourself for some big insight. <laughs> I think he's the greatest footballer of all time. Is I, I understand that. I've not watched every footballer and players across generations. It's a bit comparing chalk and cheese because the game changes. And of course, some people will argue that Ronaldo has been a better player even in this generation, never mind of all time. For me, Messi plays the game with such an ease and natural talent and almost fluidity that makes him a more engaging player to watch. And he gives me more jaw-dropping moments. And the thought that forget any practical considerations about age or fitting him in the team or wage structure... 
forget all that because that isn't mine to worry about. The thought of seeing him in a city kit and watching that live for us, because obviously we've seen him live. He's been to the Etihad. Um, obviously, we've played at the New Camp a few times. Um, it'd be different seeing him in your team because when you watch him against you, it's jaw-dropping, but there's still you, you don't want him to do well. There's that terror of, yeah, I'm seeing the greatest player ever, but I'd like him to be offbeat a little bit. <laughs> I'd like us to deal with him. Imagine seeing him play for you. Just in full flow. Yeah, it just... The thought of that, I think, I, honestly, without I don't want to go too far. I think if I saw, if I turned up to the Etihad and Lionel Messi was playing, I think I'd be emotional because it's just only one club has got to enjoy Messi as their own. And that and just isn't fair, really, when you no, think about it's, it. No, he should have played for everyone. We should all get <laughs> a go. It's just magnificent. He, he plays football. You know how Guardiola talks about football should give you a feeling. It's not just about winning. It helps. It's easy to say that when you win when all you the win, time, yeah, of course. Yeah. But football should make you feel something, and I find it easier now to forget that because everything's you're either on the precipice of acceptable success, and anything less than that's a disaster for City these days. Um, but some say City in the nineties made me feel things. But. <laughs> yeah, but it's but do you know what I mean. It's easy to forget the elation of just going to watch a game now. Because you just, bam, straight on to the next one. You need the next three points. Bam, the next one's a Champions League game. If you're out of that, if you don't win that, you're failures. And actually, you should just be able to enjoy it. And, and Messi is the purest embodiment of that in, in world football to me. I just love watching him. Does so, it, yeah, I do dream of that. Does it worry you that if, I mean, let's say in this hypothetical scenario, City managed to land him, they obviously have to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. to get him at the Etihad. They have to spend a lot on his wages and... And City are currently embroiled in the whole controversy with with FFP and opposition fans are, are kind of it's all oil money. You know, you've you've spent so much, all this sort of thing. Would the perception of what City would become by signing Lionel Messi worry? No, because I don't concern myself with outside perception. I mean, I think it would probably because there's, 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 no, I, there's I, no doubt that that fans of opposition teams and and pundits alike would would lay into City for of, spending that amount of money. Of course they would, and if they won the Champions League with Messi, then it'd be well, you had to do it by spending billions, of, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds to get an old player. Like it, it would almost be seen as you'd imagine it would devalue that sense of. Success. It would be seen as a as an inverted commas failure. Yeah, but um, I I find it quite easy as a fan not to concern myself with that. To kind of disassociate sort of, it. Yeah, because, again, I, I'm really worried about sounding, this suddenly be, coming over really pretentious, but as a fan, City's mind, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a personal experience for everyone, and you have the joy of experiencing that collectively with people, and everybody does that differently. For some people, it's really important the perception that, that City give off. Don't get me wrong. I want City to be a good club. I'd like our success to be respected. Um, but my experience of going watching City and then being successful is not devalued or impacted by... by what cri- other people say. Yeah. At the game, I enjoy it. And I promise you, I would enjoy it even more if Lionel Messi was kicking a football in a City <laughs> shirt. It's just, it's just a fact. Just on that, by the way, none of that is to sound ungrateful about what City have. Like I, I feel those things watching David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. They are City players that I love and make me feel a different way about football than most other players ever could do. But Messi, we've watched from the outside for so long. To be on the inside of that would just be... Um, It'd be spectacular, but let me caveat all that with saying I, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not. I've not kidded myself here, but I'd like it to. Well, I was going to say if City could pull it off, it's almost as if saying to Guardiola, "Look, you really do need to sign a contract extension because there's no way. Like, if they were to pull it off this summer, there's no way that Guardiola would would, would have one season with Lionel Messi he and then, could then he? leave. Well, he's still completely enamoured with him, isn't he? And and rightly so. I mean, imagine having worked with the guy. Um, yeah, he he surely surely would stay because Guardiola's very aware of and I'm, I think he will feel this scrutiny that if he doesn't win the Champions League with City then he's failed and I bet he'd rather be seen as a failure because they had to sign Messi to win it than be seen as a failure for not winning it at all it's funny he's though. concerned with legacy isn't he Guardiola he, it's funny because Guardiola constantly references 
the, his failures in the Champions mm-hmm. League, and I say failure in inverted commas, in, in like 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 anybody is is a regular winner of it that isn't Real Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. But he, he is he is absolutely obsessed with this idea that other people see him as a failure, and I find that I, I just find it fascinating. But I mean, I think that's it's the nature of um, of extreme ends of an argument, is it? There's never I'd say this all the time. There's no, there's so little room for nuance in debate anymore, because every opinion has to fit soundbite form. So Guardiola can make all these really nuanced points, or we, you know, we can sit here and explain. Well, yeah, of course he could have done better, but here's why he's not a failure, and give our views on it. But ultimately, what attracts most attention is what fits into 280 characters on Twitter, or makes a good clickbait headline. Guardiola admits to being Champions League failure. Do you know it's um, the nu- nuance doesn't exist in that argument? He's not a failure. Would it? Would he have been more of a success if he'd won it at Bayern Munich and City thus far? Of course he would. He'd be through the stratosphere as a legendary manager. But he won it in his first season as a manager. He won it twice with his boyhood club. Whilst he's managing, if he doesn't win it again, the more distance from the start of his career to the end of his career without winning it. Whilst he's managing, that will be oh, that will be scrutinised time and time again. Why can he not do it anymore? By the time he retires, he'll be a man who won the Champions League twice and remembered and respected for that. I think. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, in terms of one last question on on Messi. Um, well, one, two last questions on Messi. Then, in that case, uh, if they could pull it off, where where would he fit into the team, and what squad number would he wear? Uh, he would fit in anywhere he wanted. <laughs> and he you, could have any number he wanted. <laughs> do you know, right, My one, the one caveat I would give this, my one little fear is Messi comes in and signs a three-year contract to fill in for, I think somebody mentioned in the, the package that obviously Silva leaves yeah. an obvious create attacking space. Foden's going to look at that and think, when am I ever playing a football <laughs> game again, isn't he? You get less minutes. So I, <laughs> that would concern me. So Messi, number 47. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, Aguero would give up number 10 for him, wouldn't he? Would he? Would he? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, he'd, he'd fit in as an attacking player. That's yeah. my analysis. Anywhere he wants. <laughs> Recently, the Premier League feels like it's changed its tune on one team running away with the league. Before last season, the former CEO Richard Scudamore didn't seem too keen on it, but speaking recently, the current temporary chief exec, Richard Masters, didn't seem that fussed. I've been looking at the issue in a bit more depth. Gabriel Jesus' strike seconds before the full-time whistle at Southampton on the last day of the season in May 2018 was incredibly important for Manchester City. It made them the first ever 100-point title winners, and while points tallies can and will be beaten, being the first is something that can never be taken away. Ahead of the next season, the Premier League's then chief executive, Richard Scudamore, said he wanted future title races to go to the wire and other teams to be closer to City. It clearly bugged Pep Guardiola, who referenced those comments after the recent loss to Tottenham, which left his team trailing Liverpool by 22 points. The last two seasons, it was a, a owner for the Premier League. I said, that cannot happen again, so it's not good for the Premier League City to win the titles in that way. When we did 100 points, and you have to, to do it. So now it's Liverpool. You have to be concerned, the uh, owner for the Premier League. When asked about what Guardiola had said, the new head of the Premier League, Richard Masters, upset some City fans by suggesting that TV audiences had never been higher as Liverpool run away with this title. The Sunday Mirror's Simon Mullock spoke to Masters in the summer before this season and explained on last week's podcast that he felt the same about City's dominance between 2017 and 2019. He was an, in, an interim appointment and I spoke to him in the summer during the Asia tournament in Shanghai, not just me but a few other journalists, and one of the questions posed was, was in agreement with Scudamore's claim that you know City winning the, the the Premier League by night was it 19 points? 19 in the end, yeah. Was bad for football and bad for the Premier League in particular, and he distanced himself from that. Simon says the acting chief was impressed by City. He said, "Look, because obviously this was coming off the back of last season when City had just edged Liverpool out for the title, 
and he said that the great thing about that City team was that it raised the bar in terms of what teams needed to do to win the Premier League. However, City fan Dan Burke could see what the previous CEO was saying about the Premier League and understood where he was coming from. To be honest, I never had a problem with what Richard Scudamore said. I think um, most neutral fans would agree that you don't want to see a league where one team is so dominant and I suspect if, if Scudamore was still in charge of the Premier League now, he would say the same thing about Liverpool's dominance this season. I think it's important to remember that the Premier League, rightly or wrongly, prides itself on being the greatest, most competitive league in the world and they would much prefer to see a different team uh, win the league every year than, than one team winning it two, three times in a row. Dan also says that he doesn't think City fans should be upset that the Premier League has seemingly changed its tune now Liverpool are running away with the top flight and not City, especially as it's two different chief execs. I mean, what's the suggestion that the title race has been fixed this year so Liverpool win it? I just think it's a really bad look and it comes across as sour grapes. Um, you know, we've got to remember that Liverpool winning their first title for 30 years is a massive story, just as um, City winning it on the final day in 2012 was. Uh, I think people forget how widely celebrated that um, Aguero moment was across the football world. Dan, though, was caught off guard by one thing Richard Masters said about Liverpool's dominance. I was actually quite surprised to hear what Richard Masters said about the TV audiences being bigger this season. Um, obviously, Liverpool have got this massive global fan base which dwarfs cities, but I would have thought the closeness of last season's title race um, would have brought in more TV viewers than this one, personally. City raised the bar in 2018 and Liverpool responded. While Guardiola may not be pleased that the scrutiny seems to be different, he does admit that City need to respond back. All the times we win the titles, we compete for openness, but we compete for ourselves when we talk, when we speak, with the training sessions to do what we have to do. So we have to find it. Of course, it's a, it's a big distance and behind as well. We have many competitions in every game and from today we can learn. As hard as it might be to admit, you just have to take your hat off to a team that's earned as many points as Liverpool have by this stage of the season. It's not normal and it's time for City to work out how to better themselves next season and maybe for the fans to put their heads down for a few months. Hi, this is Kevin Hallock, and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. A look at different attitudes towards Premier League dominance there. Richard, what, what do you make uh, about what Richard's Masters and, and Scudamore have had to say? This is a really boring, sensible point to make, but it all strikes me as a bit of a storm in a teacup. This it's it's been re it's been brought to the surface again by Shock horror, Guardiola being a little bit weird after a defeat. And I think it's storming a teacup because most, I think I think it was Dan who said it in the package, most football fans would acknowledge that as a spectacle, a league is best when it's competitive. Um, and it's not great to have a team absolutely running away with it. Um, if I ask myself, even as a, a fan who's had the, the joy of experiencing City win close title races and win one at an absolute canter, joint record 19 points. Um, which moments gave me the greatest joy? Well, the 19 points one was less stressful and week in, week out, going feeling like you couldn't lose was a great feeling. And walking away after another win like, oh my God, that's 18 in a row now. That was fantastic. But the release but the, the, of, yeah, of winning the, the close ones. The absolute ecstasy at the Aguero goal in, in 2012 was something else. The release after literally feeling sick for each of the last four or five games of last season, the Burnley game, the Leicester game, the derby until Bernardo scored at Old Trafford, the tension of going behind at Brighton to then immediately go and equalise and then be up by half time. Like it's there's it's more but I don't I'm not quite sure what the word I want to use is. It feels more like what football is meant to give you. Is it more satisfaction? Because there is a lot of satisfaction in knowing that you have wiped the floor with everybody else. Yeah. But there's also a lot of satisfaction in, in being the ones that have been the most consistent, only just better than the team in second place, especially especially last season when you look at the team in second place doing so well. I'd probably go the other way. I'd say more satisfying was the winning it at a canter because we were almost perfect. But the more exhilarating was the... Was the close ones. Yeah. Um, 
so so on to take that back to the the original question i have no problem with the comments i think whenever a, a chief exec or whatever their official position is um makes a, a pointed comment football fans are likely to see that through their own sort of prism yeah um and filter it through the, how they view their own club um, and maybe take it as an attack on their club. And I just don't think it is. I think football is better when it's competitive. Um, and I th- again, I mean, I don't just want to repeat what everybody said in the package, but I'm sure Scudamore would say the same about Liverpool winning it, um, winning it at Cantu. He'd probably say it's not great for the league. What you also have to do as a football fan is you respect how good a team is it's good to watch a team be good. It's good to watch a good football team. I'm not saying I enjoy Liverpool's current <laughs> current success because I don't. But if you step back and just as a football fan, it's an absolutely marvellous achievement that they've put together. So, yeah. one, I mean, one one thing is that teams like City, teams like Liverpool, actually, to be fair to them, they're raising the bar. They're, they're forcing other teams to be good. City, Liverpool wouldn't be this good now if City hadn't been so good two years ago. No, of course they wouldn't. And that's, I mean, one of Fergie's challenges at United was that he had to um, rebuild them to compete with Mourinho's Chelsea. And he also went through that with having to overcome Wenger's Arsenal, just as Wenger had to create a team good enough to beat Fergie's all-conquering United, as Mourinho did, and had to see off Wenger's Arsenal. Football football constantly evolves. It's where tactical shifts come from. It's part of why Pep's Barcelona was so good, because it just wasn't really being done at the time, not to that quality. Um he brought back and evolved a style of football that felt like it had gone a little bit. And then everybody tries it. You know, you get like championship and league one teams trying to copy what Barcelona are doing and football just moves on that way. And then somebody has to find a way to counter that tactic. And that's why Klopp is the perfect antidote to Pep because he found a way to do that. He found an incredibly successful style of football that is completely at odds with what was successful at the time. And it's a great, I mean, it is a great competition. Their rivalry will probably be seen as one of the defining ones of this era because they had it in Germany. It's come to England and it has raised the bar of top-level English football. There's no doubt about it. And City have to regroup again to do it. We should see our six-a-side team. Guardiola's influence on that. We try and knock it around from the back. Lose every week. You're going to say can't defend either. Can't defend at all. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of this, though, in in, in all seriousness, let's have a listen to this. This is Bernardo Silva speaking to Sky Sports about City's drop-off in the Premier league this season i think we got to a point uh, one one month ago or something like that where we gave up a bit too soon and that's why now we're 20 20 something points behind uh, and i think we shouldn't have done that and it was not on purpose it was it was it was it was in our heads i think everyone was a bit disappointed to be already 10 15 points behind them uh, and then we just sent a bit down and uh, we shouldn't have done it it hurts a lot because because when you when you start a new season you always want to to go for for the premier league it's a main competition it's the most important competition for the fans so yeah very disappointing uh, no one expected us to be to be this far from 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 liverpool uh, in january february so yeah uh, something that we need to learn from we need to 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 understand what what failed and, and and how we can we can solve it, I think in the in the important moments, uh, we've not been as lucky as 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 probably in the in the past season. So uh, we always concede in the last minutes. Liverpool always scores in the last minutes, and these little details in football uh, make the difference. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Bernardo Silva speaking to Sky Sports. Uh, Richard, what do you make of that? He's he's quite open in that interview and, and quite openly talking about the idea that that after last season and the season before, they've kind of they've kind of crumbled this year. Do you know it's not great to hear. It's not particularly nice to think that that's happened. But I um, but what is positive about it is that they've recognised that. And, you know, speaking publicly about it, um, it lets everybody know that they're aware. So they can't really get away with doing it again. Um, It removes a little bit some of those, I don't want to say excuses because they are legitimate, but some of those things that we've said throughout the season about Laporte's injury being so crucial. Actually, it's shining a light on something there that's a lot, lot more simple. 
It's just human psyche. The, why, the... why has it got to that, though? Because given that they achieved so much in, in in 1718 when they got 100 points, and it would have been so easy for the drop-off to come the next season, and it didn't, is it is it just a case of the fact that they've had 198 points in two years, they've been going flat out for two years, and it's just caught up with them? I, I, I would think that the quality of Liverpool has probably deflated them, because it's not like... It's not like taking the defeats they can see a way back, is it? From very, very early on, Liverpool have felt like they're going to go out and win every game. And at some point that will stop. But every time we lose, you see that we're not clawing that gap back. So when that was four points and you lose a game and it extends to seven, seven looks a really big gap. But then when you lose again unexpectedly... We we lost two games quicker this season than we'd lost two games. Well, in fact, we lost earlier this season than we'd lost at any point under Pep. And then, if they lose one more this season, then they've lost more in a season under Pep than they have before. Obviously, in the two title years, we lost two games and four games. We very quickly met those records this year. So that feeling of something's not quite right, allied with well, last year when it wasn't quite right, there was still. a chink of light to Liverpool Spot, this year yeah. it's just it's just never been there so I think it's it's probably a combination of things it's probably felt like a bit of a hopeless task all the way through to, to be honest and I, I can see how that would affect them it must be pretty demoralising Are they right to feel aggrieved about the VAR decisions as well because there's there is a feeling at City that, that they haven't had the rub of the green with VAR mm, I think this affects Every team, every team has at some point had a controversy with VAR. Um, we have had a fair number of decisions go in our favour. The Wolves fiasco when we got a penalty, rightly awarded. So, you know, this isn't some big controversy or didn't VAR do as a favour. But it was a fiasco in the way that penalty was awarded. And then Wolves, we had to re- retake, retake the penalty, didn't we? And then Sterling scored the rebound. We had the other retaken penalty at West Ham that caused all sorts of confusion that went in our favour. Um, I think that the Tottenham one was obviously, we had a very odd one go in our favour and then blew it, obviously. I think what probably makes City feels so aggrieved. There were some is, crucial ones at crucial times. This is though. what I was going to say. The, the, the thing where I can, where I do feel a bit aggrieved is so early in the season that the Tottenham one, um, L- the L- last L- minute... Laporte handball. Yeah, the last minute disallowed goal that just seemed absolutely nuts was very deflating. So soon after the other disallowed goal last year against Spurs that was incredibly deflating. Um, and then knowing you've got to go to Anfield and win... The handball nonsense, though. Yeah, it's. It's. I, I find this one a difficult one to answer because I would imagine that you get any fan of any team in the Premier League probably feels agreed. You ask them about VAR and they're gonna they're gonna revert to telling you about the ones that went against them before the ones that went for them. And that's not saying that there isn't a legitimate case, but it's not. It's not the reason we're what twenty two points behind. It's just not. It's. It's a fact. I don't think, to be fair to the the squad, I don't think they're they're feeling that's no, the no. reason. I think they're feeling that that is just another thing that has not helped them this season, and it's it's been kind of a mental battering that they've taken from it. I can see that. I can see that. But I only, I think I only give that so much credit or so much credence as as a reason, because I think that any player could feel that that's gone against them in some way. Right, ask the panel time. Uh, get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, and search for Blue Moon Podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow and we'll follow you back as well. Ian Henderson is first up on Twitter. He asks, which City player would you like to have your back when the going got tough? For me, it would have to be Edison. Did you see what happens when his teammates try to banter him off? This is uh, this is a video of, of uh, I think it was Richarlison, um, basically encouraging Edison to concede a goal in training. And Edison picks the ball up and just wellies it at him. From a couple of yards. Oh, away. I missed that. Oh, go and have a look for it. It's fantastic. You, you, honestly, he hits that ball so hard from a distance of about what we're sat across from each other now. Um, I Richardson and... hit the deck like I've never seen anybody else just get out of the way of it. We all know the um, alleged 
Edison milk throwing incident at Old Trafford as well, <laughs> defending his teammates. So Edison's a great shout. Um, my instinct on this one was to say Fernandinho because he's such a good protector. That and you feel that although he's well, we've seen him get involved in some scraps. But do you know who has everybody's back? You, I wonder if you're going to say the same one as me. Three, two, one. Aguero. Oh, oh. oh, do you know? Do you know my Aguero incident that makes me instantly think there's a man who will jump to my defence in any circumstance? David Luiz, FA. No, Cup. no, no. That no. That's the. That's too far. That's when he's going to attack somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the, the way that he got involved in um, oh, the, the incident fan. at Bournemouth with the fan who was wrestled to the ground um, by the policeman and yeah. Aguero got right in the midst of that he used his position um on on that pitch and um you know his status really knowing that he wasn't going to get arrested was he he used his status brilliantly and that um that's a man that I want protecting me yeah I, the reason I say David Silver is is not not necessarily because because you know I, I think he's going to be tough in a fight but he's a, he is a man who is not afraid to go and right some wrongs on a football pitch, is he? And he he just shields you by walking in circles around you. <laughs> if you were under attack, he'd keep hold of you <laughs> un- until suddenly you looked up and you were just in space. Yeah, that's it's amazing how it works. Um, George Payton on the emails asks, "Why are City not being heavy on Liverpool over the story that they hacked our scouting database?" We can only speculate, can't we? Because I think. Um, is there a non-disclosure agreement in place from City as yeah, part of the th- settlement? This is what happened. Basically, uh, City signed a non-disclosure agreement, uh, so they're they're not they're not going to say anything. Yeah. Um, they've accepted a one million pound settlement on the matter. So as far as they're concerned, the matter's closed. Whether whether or not people at the club feel like like they want to talk about it, that doesn't matter. They've signed the agreement. The the the, the matter is closed. Uh, the FA aren't following it up because of how long ago it was and the fact that you know the two clubs have settled on it already. Um, and Liverpool, I suppose, weren't really a threat to City at the time it happened, in the sense of that they were about seventh or eighth in the league. Yeah, I, I mean, I would also think that there's probably something in, and I, this is only speculation. So, but I, I would suppose that there's probably something in wanting to getting the acknowledgement from Liverpool that they wronged City was probably. Um, was probably enough, really, because it's great to have rivalry, but at some level, you you want the clubs to have some kind of effective relationship between each other. It's not unfeasible, for example, that we might want to sign a player from Liverpool again, and if you damage relations at the top level, that probably becomes a lot, lot harder. You think of how players can't pass between Liverpool and United. Obviously, that's a much more ingrained thing, but it just can't happen. Um, we don't want to get to a situation where the clubs can never do business if it's mutually beneficial. Um, so I would think there's probably something in, yes, you wronged us. Yes, you've acknowledged it. We accept your million-pound apology. And let's maintain a, a passable working rela- you know, a passable relationship so they can look each other in the eye at the chairman's conferences and stuff. Just think if it was the other way around, though. You don't, I don't feel City would get such an easy ride. Um... We'll never know, though, will we? That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I also would think that at the top end of any business, there are probably some actions that are regrettable or that businesses might not want releasing publicly. And so this might be an, an understanding, possibly on City's part, that if there is anything where they have ever potentially wronged a club or could be perceived to have wronged another club, that actually, if they try and take Liverpool to the cleaners or make a big deal of this in the press and let it blow up as a public relations issue, then what if somebody comes along and feels slighted by us, whether rightly or wrongly... And decides to go all guns blazing. Yeah, well, actually... You know, I mean, it could be... So, for example, it could be a really innocent thing where... An agent is seen talking to a manager. Six months later, you sign their player and a club alleges tapping up. I think you are more likely to be able to have productive working relationships with other clubs if you haven't tried to take another club to the cleaners for making, you know, I mean, we've got to be honest, what seems like a dishonest mistake. But if Liverpool don't do it again, if people learn the lessons... Something like that. Fans are always going to get het up about something like this. But at the top level, it probably 
with only with knowing the few details that we do probably seems a fairly sensible approach and, and very mature approach by all involved well that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast uh, thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the show then please give it a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from a uh, special thanks to my guest Richard Burns uh, and special thanks to you David thank you very much if you'd like a little bit more then this week's Patreon bonus show is all about our perfect city dinner party and who we'd invite and that's available for all backers of $2 a month on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast I'll be back next week to look ahead to games against Leicester and Real Madrid so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Pep Guardiola's reign was only just a month old by the time he'd messed around Pep Guardiola's reign was only just a month old by the time he'd messed around by... Oh, come on. Pressure now, you put me under, Carroy.